Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Napa Know How. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Cavaliers. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Locked on Cavaliers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Locked on Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast brought to you by Fear the Sword and this LaCroix that I am drinking at the end of a very long trade deadline day. As always, I am Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Joining me today to talk about the trade deadline is Justin Rowan from Fear the Sword and Press Basketball. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing good. Uh, pretty fun deadline. Uh, it, there's not everyone always gets excited for the big deals, but I I just like player movement. I, I like the speculation and kind of when you something doesn't materialize, it's often interesting just to see kind of where teams were thinking, uh, who's available, what their thought processes were. So it, it's always a fun and fascinating day for me. Yeah, I I think. Uh, I've said this before, I think I said it on yesterday's show, but the trade deadline is always my favorite trade deadline Deadline out of the other sports just because you actually get movement. You get a lot of just kind of crap thrown out there. Um, so I'm, I am personally a huge fan of the deadline. I do even like some of the minor moves. It's kind of funny when it's like 259 and you're getting some random player dealt for like a second round. KJ McDaniels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Breaking the internet. <laughs> yeah, and you, get, and you get like 50 tweets of analyzation about KJ McDaniels and him being a good thing for the Nets. I love it. There's nothing better. Um, Ridiculousness is the best thing about the NBA, and nothing brings it out of people more than the trade deadline. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, the Cavs also did play a game on trade deadline day. They did beat the New York Knicks 119 to 104. A uh, 10th straight win for the Cavs against the Knicks. The Cavs are an NBA best 8-1 and one in February. Uh, LeBron James had the most effortless triple-double I've seen in a long time, even from him. Play, did play 37 minutes, though. Kyrie plays 30, scores 23. Uh, Porzingis left the game for the Knicks with an ankle injury. Carmelo Anthony had 20 points for New York. Uh, and Courtney Lee had a really nice game until he got blocked by LeBron in the fourth quarter. And because he went to Mama Mater, uh, mandatory shout-out to Maurice Sandor for being plus one in two minutes in garbage time. Uh, trade deadline, Cavs don't do anything, actually. So they don't make a deal. They were linked to Shelvin Mack this week, but those talks seem to stall out uh, from everything we understand. 
They don't get in. They don't end up getting Bogut after they were linked to maybe trading for him when he ended up on the Sixers uh, after the Nolan Well trade, and he is going to get bought out now, so he's interested there. Uh, but the Cavs don't do anything. This to me was not a surprise. I didn't think they were going to make a trade. I just didn't think they had the assets to do something actually meaningful. I think Shelvin Mack would have made a lot of sense, but based on who we were going to talk about in a minute, who it looks like they're probably going to get if he clears waivers. Uh, I, th- I think this deadline, Justin, it's a good inactive. And Kyle Korver is their move. Like, don't forget that they got Kyle freaking Korver uh, at a pretty for a pretty pretty good price. Yeah, Kyle Korver was obviously the deadline acquisition, if you will, for the Cavs. I do like that they went out and they got their guy ahead of time because it does give them more time to get used to the Cavs' offense. Um, one thing you got to give David Griffin credit for is when he sees something that he wants, he goes out and he does it. Um, I, I always kind of expected that the bio market was going to be the biggest thing for the Cavs. And what I was monitoring throughout the trade deadline was guys that got moved, such as an Andrew Bogut, who would be likely to be bought out by Philly. What guys are teams actually getting something for and uh, who stayed put and, and needed to be bought out. Um, the other big acquisition that the Cavs have coming their way is going to be J.R. Smith. Um, it, it seems easy to forget about him with how well Amon Shumpert's played, how, how well Kyle Korver's played, but J.R. arguably is the team's best perimeter defender, at least during the regular season. And, I mean, he, he's fit so well in Cleveland that once they have their full line up back it's going to be interesting to see both how tyron lou uses it and just how good this Cavs team can be yeah i mean when they get jr smith back and that's a really really good point this is a team that's going to have a pretty deep roster um you're gonna i don't know who exactly is going to start yet that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but you have lebron Kyrie, kevin love obviously is your big three you have corver jr smith tristan thompson uh amon shumpert channing fry Richard Jefferson is good rotation guys. You're going to probably get, looks like Deron Williams is going to be an option. You have, um, Derek Williams has been a really, really nice surprise for the team of late. And you have other guys that can fill in minutes as you need them. I, they're not quite as, they're not 10 deep. Like Toronto is sort of 10 deep now, but they don't need to be 10 deep. I think they're as deep as they sort of need to be. And I think they're deep in the right spots. The interesting thing is to, for me, Justin is it looks like they are going to be active very quickly in shaping out the rest of the roster. I think that's a good thing because I think you want to get guys in as quickly as possible. There are a right. number of names they've been linked to. So they had the, that workout a couple weeks ago. Those guys are sort of irrelevant at this point. Um, no Jordan Farmar, no Mario Chalmers. They're obviously not going to can't trade anybody, but the names they've been linked to Andrew Bogut, who looks like he's going to get a buyout from the 76ers. You're going to have mm-hmm. Deron Williams, who was with the Mavs, and is going to, and they had an agreement to get him out of there. Larry Sanders, who worked out with the team, and Ty Lue was very, very uh, positive about Larry Sanders when he was in town. And then you have Derek Williams, who was on the 10-day deal still, and you have some other names that have been thrown out there. Um, who, who one of those stands out to you, Justin? Well, I mean, Darren Williams at this point, it sounds like inevitability as long as he clears waivers. Um, he, he's going to end up with the Cavs, at, at least according to most reports by almost every single outlet. Um, I, I guess the only real threat to pick him up off of waivers would be Utah. Um, but it, it seems like Darren Williams, his desire is to play in Cleveland, and teams typically don't pick up guys against their will. Um so he's obviously one of the most exciting options there because he is still playing at a pretty high level 
and, and would be a great addition at the backup point guard position. Somebody that also could play in two guard lineups with Kyrie uh, with certain looks and really would kind of fill what the Cavs had with Delavadova last year, only to a much higher degree of somebody that can create with the second unit, run the pick and roll. Uh, I believe he's the second most efficient pick and roll creator in the NBA this year uh, behind Chris Paul. Um, so, so there are still things that he does really well. He can't create his own shot the same way he used to be able to, but he's still a very good spot-up shooter, which is exactly what the Cavs need. Um, beyond that, the, the big men um, that the Cavs are pursuing – there's a lot of interesting names. Uh, Bogut, Larry Sanders, as you mentioned, and also Terrence Jones are, are kind of the three that stand out to me. Uh, Larry Sanders is a completely wild card. I don't feel like I could really give an educated opinion on him without being present at his workouts. I, I have no idea what shape Larry Sanders is in, where he's at. Um, I know Andrew Bogut has been hurt all year, and has not been very good one playing. Obviously, he'd be asked to take on a lot smaller role with the Cavs, but he just really hasn't been good. I, I mean, as a, a bio pickup, it would it could be a great acquisition. I see the upside there, but he, he's far from a sure thing. Um, and then there's Jones, who probably is going to want more playing time than the Cavs can offer, would but would be an exciting young option at, at still just 25 years old. Yeah, the Jones thing is interesting because he would be sort of filling the role that Derek Williams is. I don't think he can quite play the three the way that the Cavs have used Derek Williams. I think you'd lose some no. there, but I think he's 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 a better player than Derek Williams. I think he's a better scorer. He's a better overall power four than Derek Williams. Um, Deron Williams to me is the guy mm-hmm. that I would think would be most useful. Just you look at what he is. He's you know he's thirty two now, almost 30, 33. He's obviously like you said, he's no longer. Darren Williams, who a lot of people debated was maybe as good or better than Chris Paul early in his career with the Jazz then end up in Brooklyn. But he's really reinvented himself in Dallas in the last year and a half and a guy who could be a really, really good backup point guard. I'm not sure he's going to be quite as intense as Delhi, but you don't need him to be. I mean, this is a guy who, like you said, has been hyper-efficient in the pick and roll. He's doing a really good job taking care of the ball. He's going to lessen Kyrie's minutes during the regular season. And right now... yeah. On 2.8 attempts a game, which is his highest, the highest percentage of his three-point field goals, he's shooting 37.3% on catching two threes. This is a guy that I think could play some, <laughs> some two-guard. Like this, is just it's just so perfect. And out of all the other guys you could have gotten, Shelvin Mack, um, you know Jordan Farm, like all these guys, like I think he's clearly the best option. This is this is the guy that when we speculated about who the Cavs might be able to get. This was the guy that I think most of us thought of as the pipe dream, as the guy that if you could get this guy, it's a great situation, but it didn't seem likely at the time. Yeah, and it's funny when people were discussing trading Amon Shumpert for players like Shelvin Mack and other facilitators to have a guy like Darren Williams come up basically for free is not only better than any of the options that were kind of presented. It, it, it's perfect. Cavs really didn't give up anything and have the potential to really improve their their lineup after the deadline. Um, as you mentioned, currently they're they're not ten deep, but if they get fully healthy, you're talking about Kyrie, Darren Williams, 
JR, Amon Shumpert, LeBron, Corver, Love, Fry, and you got Tristan and potentially Bogut or Sanders. Like, that's a pretty deep team, and we're not even bringing up uh, Richard Jefferson and, um, and Derek Williams, who, who's played well to this point. So um, I, I think the Cavs have the potential to really put together a really deep roster if they end up hitting on a couple of these buyout options. Yeah, and let's talk about Larry Sanders more for a second because I think he's a really, really interesting case. Um, he worked out with the Celtics. Apparently that didn't – it was okay, but the Celtics, uh, from my understanding, thought he needed to put on weight and thought he, he didn't quite look to be the type of player that they needed at the time. But they were excited that he was back playing basketball. That was their understanding of him. He comes to Cleveland. Kyrie and Tyrone Lue were both very – seemed very impressed with him. I think David Griffin was as well. Uh, and it seems like he's very much on the radar. My thing, my this is, and this is where I come with him and Bogut. Uh, like they both sort of have some baggage with them. Like Bogut is a very prickly personality. You can go back and read stories about his time in Mark Jackson's Warriors locker room. And Mark Jackson's this very religious sort of preacher type of coach that did not sit well with yeah. Bogut. And that's not not Tyler was not that. Um, but like. I don't know how Bogut exactly fits in the locker room. He has not really been Bogut that we know in Dallas. He kind of labors up the court on offense, takes his time. Um, it's no guarantee he's actually good anymore. Right. Right. And, and, and they don't really need a lot from that position. Like, it's more of a luxury to have that, that second true big off of the bench and a shot blocker than a natural need. You look at the finals last year, and really, the big bad rotation was basically just Tristan, Love, LeBron, and Jefferson playing the, the both center and power forward. Um, I anticipate that being the case unless someone steps up in an unexpected way. But because it's more of a luxury than an actual need, and because of kind of the 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 issues that you brought up there i wouldn't really be surprised to see them go the larry sanders direction just because it does have that kind of upside that feels like the the david griffin thing to do in, in this type of situation and especially with andrew bogut kind of ha having views of that are i i guess politically and philosophically on the polar opposite side of LeBron James, I, I can see that kind of being a factor in the decision making as well. Yeah, and maybe, um, I mean, but if he thinks the world's flat, then may, maybe it's okay. Maybe it all evens out. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I don't think Larry Sanders, um, his issues are, are nearly as concerning. I, I mean, it, it's funny for us to talk about off-court issues when, when DeAndre Liggins is still on the team. Yeah, I mean, um, the, and like that's that's a good point because like what <clears throat> what Larry Sanders is an issue, his issues with marijuana, with uh, his 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 mental <laughs> issues, uh, those are things that in like compared to DeAndre Liggins to compared to um, Andrew some of the things that Andrew Bogut has said and tweeted like they yeah I, I view those as minor as sort of minor things compared to what uh, to what like as more severe than what Sanders did like I, I think like he he has his issues and I think the big but for me it's like the biggest issue I have with him it's not really like indicative of him it's the things it's like you want to make sure he you want to make sure he's actually able to play and he's in functional basketball shape, and you want to make sure he's fully 
ready to play. Like I think, and you want to make right. sure you and you want to make sure that you can support him too. Like I think that's really important. When you look at mental illness, you really have to be in a situation where you can support that player. And I, the one thing that keeps sticking with me is um, there's a story from a couple years ago that Kevin Arnold from ESPN wrote about Larry Sanders, and the opening line is an unnamed executive basically saying like we don't know how to. The NBA is not good at supporting players with mental illness. Like they are not yeah. equipped to do that. And you probably need to be equipped as a as a franchise to be a support system for Larry Sanders. Um, it seems like he's in a much better place. Um, friend of the program, mm-hmm. Jobs had that interview with him. He wants to play in a winner. Um, these there's all these things that he's doing. It seems like he's in a healthier place. But I still think you would want to have that support system there for him. Yeah, I I, I think it does sound like he is in uh, a much healthier place. Um. Just plugging for a moment here, uh, at Press Basketball, uh, we actually had an interview with uh, Royce White recently uh, about mental illness, and and he kind of echoed those same sentiments that the NBA isn't really set up to deal with mental illness very well. And the other thing he mentioned, uh, he's now playing, um, I guess, semi-professionally up in Canada here. Um, he, He mentioned how difficult it is to get back in the basketball after spending a couple years away. Um, so it, it's a very similar situation, at least from a conditioning standpoint and also dealing with mental health issues, um, that it, it would be an adjustment period if they were to sign Sanders. But as I said, because there isn't really a, a need for him to fill, I, I, I feel like they can bring him along the right way. And, and they're also an organization that does have history dealing with players uh, with bipolar disorder, as they did um, deal with uh, Delonte West. Uh, Le- LeBron ha- has, uh, Delonte's brought up that LeBron has been very instrumental in helping al- him along with his process, even after uh, no longer being teammates. So I think they might be better suited than some teams to bring him on. And a-, a winning situation where there aren't a lot of expectations is probably very good for him at, at this point of his development. Um, but as I said, without being there without really knowing him on a personal level without knowing what type of shape he's in it's really hard to have an informed opinion but at least on the surface it does look like a potentially good situation yeah the other the other thing to note about uh, the Royce White thing is interesting because uh there's actually a really good I don't know if you've read this but there's a really good story that you should everyone out that's interested in sort of this topic that Blake Murphy who writes for the Athletic uh and Raptors Republic and Vice Sports he wrote a feature I believe it's for Vice about Royce White's uh, experience in the in the up and playing in basketball in Canada and mental illness, and then you should go check out the stuff at Press Basketball. It's a very interesting topic, uh, for, in, in my opinion. I think it's like a very interesting thing to kind of discuss and kind of analyze. I do think the Cavs locker room probably could, from my just knowing how it works and knowing how you have guys in the locker room that uh, maybe I don't know if it's there they've been you know had people in their lives that have mental illness but it's a very supportive locker room much more so than it was a year and a half ago like it's a healthy locker room right and i think tyron lou is a very very strong (laughs) locker room leader it's like much more so than david blatt um like (laughs) you know it's two sides of two different coins um the thing with sanders to me that i would worry about i think he could fill a rim protection need because channing fry has been atrocious on defense all season um but I, mm-hmm. I think if you're if, if you're making an argument for Bogut, to me it comes down to that he's actually played in the NBA in the past two years. Sanders has not played in the NBA since LeBron's first year back in Cleveland, the 2014-15 season. Um, he 
he's worked out. He he looks like a tad bit skinnier, and, and that's come out of saying that he might be a little bit smaller than he was. My th- what I would maybe would do is if he and if he wants to play in an environment like in Cleveland, if that's something he w- he would commit to doing beyond this year, I might sign him to something like sign him for the rest of the year and have. Uh, an option for next year, a partial guarantee for next year, so you can keep him around and keep him in your system over the summer. Maybe have him play in summer league and then develop him for next year. Because if you can get a guy that can be seventy-five percent or sixty percent or something of what he was at his best, um, you could and you can develop him to get back to there. That would be a really nice thing for the Cavs to have next year. You can play the long game a little bit here, I think. Oh, absolutely. And as I said, that's the David Griffin aspect of it that I, I really see as making it possible is just because there is that upside. And one of the things that the Cavs have tried to do and the front office has tried to do is maintain flexibility, try to acquire young assets wherever possible. I, I think that's one of the reasons why they jumped all over Derek Williams as soon as he became available is whenever there's available young talent, they're trying to find whatever market inefficiencies there are, whatever guys that maybe other teams don't feel confident that they can um, create the right environment for them. They're, they're looking for those type of guys to improve their roster and uh, open the window for contention. And for that reason, I, I think if you can establish a situation where um, both Sanders and the Cavs are benefiting one another, um, they're more than willing to kind of bring them along in that process. And I, I just feel with the concerns uh, from a locker room standpoint, as well as the health and on-court play of Bogut, I just feel Sanders would be the more favorable option and the direction that I'd like to see the team go. I don't know if that's ultimately going to be the case. Uh, I, the other tendency of this team is to kind of play it a little bit safer and, and go with more known commodities. It's it's why they didn't go the D-League D direction with filling the back of point guard spot um they they waited for the bio market for a veteran um i i think there is the possibility that bogut is signed ultimately these are guys that they're picking up for nothing that could contribute in a big way so it, it's hard to complain or, or be too picky at this point yeah i'm with you on that um, and i think anyone they sign isn't necessarily i don't know if like they're even deron williams necessarily makes me think it tilts their title odds anymore from like i think deron would certainly help i think he'd actually be pretty playable in the finals uh, no matter who they play but i don't know if like sanders or bogey really tips it for me i think guard play and making sure your wings are rested and healthy and really the health of jr smith the health of kevin love is almost i mean especially kevin love is more important than any signing you're going to make between now and the and the playoff roster deadline for sure um, all right, so let's let's look at this. I'm gonna give you full. I'm gonna give you. Dave, you're gonna be David Griffin for a second. Um, you have. Okay. You have. Yeah. You get your a. You're gonna be able to back <laughs> a. You're gonna be able to back up the Brings truck at the end of the season because, by the way, David Griffin's a free agent at the end of the season. Uh, so he's gonna. You can back hey, up the Brings that? truck and get like paid like a ton of money. What I actually my suggestion for David Griffin is he should uh, average out every trade exception that he's ever created, and that should be his average salary per year. And including like the version mm-hmm. I wanted that's full light. That's what I would do. But uh, you you get to, you get to do what you want with the roster. You can shape it however you would want. With now with the buyout market and the free agent market, how would you, what would you do? I'm going with Darren Williams and Larry Sanders. I would cut Jordan McRae to create the room for uh, Sanders. 
Um, at this point, I'd like to retain Derek Williams, Darren Williams, and then, as I said, um, Sanders is kind of the the high upside move that that I'd like at at that uh, big man position. I would do the same thing. I think I would look hard at Bogut. I think he he actually because of a loophole, he can go back to Golden State. He could end up in Houston. They supposedly have interest. Um, so there's there's something a little bit interesting there. I I think Sanders works. I'm down for that. I, and I also would cut Jordan McRae. I think it comes down to him and Liggins. My thing with mm-hmm. those two guys is I think McRae is a more talented scorer. Um, but not yeah. but for what the Cavs need, and he hasn't developed in anything now. And you know you don't. I think if he could end up with a charge, I think that would actually make a lot of sense to have him go. Playing can't keep him in the system. Have him play in summer league and whatnot. If if you want to keep trying to develop him, and the Cavs do like him to you know to a certain extent, um, I do. I think Liggins, if you needed to play him in the playoffs, he can play defense, and he's a statistically he's a good corner three point shooter. So I yeah, think, yeah, and and he's been ahead of McCray in the rotation as well. I, I I think the defense is far more valuable, especially with all the offensive options that they have. Yeah, so he checks these two boxes. Um, I don't really think McGray checks a single box. He's not a good spot-up shooter. He's sort of just kind of all over the place. He has moments where you're like, oh, this could be – he's shooting well, and it's good. But um, a lot of times it's just, <laughs> it's just not – it's just not great. Uh, so that's – I agree with you. I would do the exact same yeah. thing. I, would, I mean, I would look hard at Bogut. I would kind of weigh that out, but uh, I'm not totally sold on on what he is and, and what uh, – what he offers that Sanders doesn't. And I just don't, I just don't think a center at this stage is going to make that big of a difference. No, no. One way or the other, it's not. It's uh, Tristan Thompson's going to be playing the bulk of the minutes in the finals. Yeah, if they're playing the Warriors, you need Tristan on Draymond, and no one the Cavs could sign, I think, could actually do uh, a good job against Draymond in the way Tristan's going to have to if the Cavs are going to win the final. So, uh, aside from the Cavs... No, well, yeah, almost, yeah. almost no big men can. Yeah, it's an insanely difficult job, and it's why Tristan's so, so valuable. Um, so, we're going to now look at the rest of the trade deadline. Not a ton happened. A lot of the big deals really happened in the lead-up to the to the deadline. Uh, the Raptors obviously got Serge Ibaka. They make a last-minute deal to get P.J. Tucker. The, the, the Celtics don't do anything. Paul George is still in Indiana. Jimmy Butler is still in... Chicago, Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott are now on the Thunder, but just not a ton of things really happen. Uh, the, and the Mavs made a deal, but nothing that I think really impacts the East playoff race significantly. Um, I do like Toronto kind of going forward a little bit. I do like the Wizards getting Bogdanovich. Uh, I, I would have got a point guard if I were them, but at least they did something. I have mixed feelings about Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I can understand... After thinking about it a little bit, I'm, I've made fun of them on Twitter for this, and I made fun of them when we had Sean Woody on the show, but I can at least understand them not wanting to get – like, if, if the Bulls were really, were, as reported, were asking for not really picks, but all their current rotation guys, so, like, three of Crowder, Smart, and Bradley, that's a lot to do right now. And it, it make, and if you're you're worried that you're, that's not going to help you beat LeBron, then I can kind of understand not pulling the trigger, but at the same time, like – Boston's got to, like, they're just delaying that question of when they're going to do something further and further. Yeah, at some point it gets to the point that 
you question are Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford going to be part of their theoretical championship team at some point? Because signing Al Horford at 30 years and then not going for it is not ideal. Isaiah is 28 years old, and he may never he may never be better than he is right now. He likely isn't. He's he's five nine, and, and there still are questions <laughs> surrounding him, both on how he can play in the playoffs and, and how much his defense really hurts you. Because even when he's in position to play defense, it doesn't really make a difference at that height. Um, I, I like what Toronto did. Serge Ibaka obviously is a nice pickup. Um, the the main thing I feel they added is defensive versatility. Like the Cavs absolutely torch the Raptors with Channing Fry out there basically anytime they go with stretch lineups now I feel Toronto at, at least has guys that they can throw out there that can counter that defensively or, or at least slow the Cavs down they can go with uh, two big man lineups with Baca and Patrick Patterson that can really counter a lot of those kind of love and fry lineups um, or and um, really slow the Cavs down. Or if the Cavs go small with, with their bench with LeBron at the four, they can put P.J. Tucker out there um, to give Damari Carroll a bit of a rest. They're, they're obviously still behind the Cavs, but I, I like that they haven't given up a ton, and they at least give themselves a better shot. They make themselves more competitive. Uh, they have defensive versatility to deal not only with Cleveland, but with Boston and Washington as well. Um, they didn't really give up much of their young core at all. Uh, Terrence Ross kind of needed to go to create minutes for Norman Powell. So I, I really like what they've done. Um, I think they would have liked to add a star, but uh, as kind of a, a half measure to kind of ensure that you have a better shot in the playoffs without giving up too much. I think it was basically a, a perfect set of moves for them. Now they're going to have to pay uh, Lowry and a Bach and Patterson a boatload of money this summer. And that's going to kind of raise questions about whether they can do that and still keep Valanciunas and Damari Carroll. Um, but that's something for them to figure out this summer. Yeah, I think I think I would like if you would obviously I think prefer Millsap, right? Like I think you'd rather get Paul Millsap in the situation. But if you're talking about getting uh, an upgrade over Pascal Skiam and and Jared Selinger, like you did that, like Skiam was the if you're looking at RPM is a, um, you know, a, not a perfect statistic. He's the second worst power forward as rated out by RPM. Sullinger falls mm-hmm. higher, but it's not like he is a, is a positive power forward. It's very telling that like to get uh, to get Sullinger sort of in bottom shape line is rookies Sullinger. suck. <laughs> yeah, rookies suck, and Jared Sullinger is like out of shape and had to play in the D League. Like, like just yeah. just kind of the situation. Abaka is not Abaka from Prime OKC anymore. Like he's probably not gonna be that guy. No, we're not that far removed from him being a very impactful piece in that Warriors Thunder series last year and he's been shooting threes well this year. I love that move for them. And I PJ Tucker is, you know, a great shooter. He's gonna have offensive issues and it'd be hard to play like him and Damari Carroll together and it's gonna him and DeRozan's gonna be a tight fit. But man, he's gonna be a useful defender for them in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, and one of the successful tactics teams have used in the past to kind of slow down LeBron is having multiple guys that can defend him 
in short bursts. You, you play Damari Carroll, he gives 100% effort for five, six minutes. You sub him out for another guy, and you just come at them at waves because LeBron's going to log those heavy minutes. If you have multiple guys that can at least stay in position, you, you can kind of wear him down, and maybe he doesn't have as effective of a fourth quarter or, or late in games if the rest of the team can hang around. I don't I don't think the Raptors can hang around. I don't think they are a legitimate threat. Um, but they, they're going to have a much better chance than they had last season uh, to at least hang around. Yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree with that. Now, if you were Boston, what would you have done? Well, I mean, would you have gone both Nets picks? Who would you prefer? Like, how do you approach the situation if you're Danny Ainge? Honestly, uh, I probably would have offered Crowder choice of Bradley and Smart as well as the Brooklyn pick. If I needed to throw in a future pick, I wouldn't throw in another future Brooklyn pick, but I'd at least throw in a Celtics pick if need be. Um, you got to feel bad. Well, if you're a Celtics fan, you got to feel bad that you had Serge Ibaka who went for below market value. You had DeMarcus Cousins who went for below market value. And then you had two basically ideal wings. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Butler... Jimmy Butler has a claim to being the second best player in the East this year. Paul George is obviously a top five player in the East. These guys don't become available often. And if you don't get them while you can, you're not getting them as a free agent if you're Boston. Like, that that's just not going to happen. It's it's not a place guys have typically gone to sign. Maybe you sign Gordon Hayward, um, but you're just you're you're pushing this further and further back. And I think eventually, like you just gain the reputation of being harder and harder to trade with. You, you can't always want to rob teams with every trade you make. Eventually, you have to consolidate assets, and if that means overpaying, that means overpaying. But when you listen to what potential deals were uh, for a Baca, it was peanuts. Like they they really didn't have to offer a lot. And if they made a move for a Baca, and then they made a move for Paul George, they, there were no overlapping assets there. That could have been a legitimate contending team this year. Um, assuming Ibaka regains his form. It, it might not be the favorite to come out of the East. It, it might come down to the wire in the Eastern Conference Finals, but you give yourself a real shot. And I, I think one thing that I really appreciate about the Cavs is that they understand that absolutely nothing is guaranteed moving forward. You have to try to capitalize on whatever your window is. You have to go all in. You have to push those chips in because at any point – any of your players could can tear an Achilles. You can have a big injury. You, you, anything can go wrong. Look at the Chicago Bulls with Derrick Rose being the youngest MVP ever. Set of injuries, all of a sudden, that window gets slammed shut. You, you have to go in. And, and I think the longer Boston delays, the less likely it becomes that they eventually turn into what they, they want to be, which is a contender. Yeah, I'm with you. I think... There isn't one clear answer to this, but I think it's just sometimes you, if you know you can get a star, don't overthink it and do it. Do what you have to do to get that guy. Um, and, and if you look at just how Boston's built, Jimmy Butler helps you win right now. And I can understand if you, if you even if you get him, it makes you skeptical if you're going to beat LeBron and Golden State. 
Like, I think that's that's more than fair. The, then the question the question then becomes like okay if you're not gonna do them now can you maybe get them in the summer sure but then if you can't get them then I think it becomes really tricky just because Jalen Brown and Marco Fultz of that's who they take at the top of the draft and other other young guys that they have that are developing are not gonna be in their primes for they're literally teenagers like they're not gonna be in their primes for five years or six years by that point Isaiah Thomas is gonna be thirty four. Al Horford's going to be 36, and these guys, those guys could be another teams by that point. I think it's just these very – it's not – like, there's this grit. There's, like – this is the thing we talk about with the Cavs and youth. You you certainly need youth, I think. You need guys that aren't 36 and on their on just playing on minimum contracts because they're veterans, and that's what they're, they're doing at that point in their career. You need youth on your team. But you probably need to have it – if you're trying to contend, you need to have it in a way – that it's functional and ready to help now, and you can sacrifice it a little bit if it means you're getting a star. I, th- I think that's sort of just kind of how you – I think that's really – the if you're going to contend, you have to do it that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you summed it up perfectly when you said when you have the opportunity to get a star, don't overthink it. Yeah, like you don't – I mean, the Paul George thing would – if I was Danny Ainge, I would have focused on Butler just because that Paul George stuff – freaked me out it would freak me out if i really if that was the sense i was getting about him um wanting to be in la or like wanting to only be in indiana and those are like his two spots i would have been a little bit worried about that because you don't want to like deal all those guys your best chips and then have him leave in a year or something like that i think you have to be a little bit worried about that yeah yeah definitely would be a concern especially with the report that he only wanted to commit to indiana or la yeah and plus, like, if you get uh, Jimmy Butler, I think that would have mucked up their cap space for the summer, so you couldn't go get a, go after Gordon Hayward. And it, there are benefits to not doing this right now. But at the same time, like, the stuff could change in June. And, yeah, like, Jimmy Butler could still be available on the draft night, but maybe someone else deals for him. Maybe uh, they want they, – they maybe they decide they want Chris Dunn again. And, and that happens or yeah. something. Like, something just <laughs> kind of dumb. Um, but Justin, is there any other deal out there before we let you go that that stood out to you on deadline day? Mm. I mean, I, I like Dallas trading for Nerlens Noel. I, I think that's a, a nice jump start to the rebuilding process. Um, obviously, the the market value wasn't great for Noel. Um, he didn't want to be in Philadelphia. He had made that known, and I. I and they didn't really have a desire to pay him. So that drove his value straight down. Um, Justin Anderson might be a nice player for Philly. I, I don't fully buy it. Um, but I, I think Noel in Dallas is another piece to a nice core. Harrison Barnes has been better than I expected. Uh, Seth Curry is playing well for them. And, and I think they just got to start trying to f- acquire young talent and, and to get a potential fran- franchise center in Noel is um, w- was a shrewd move from them. So that was kind of the only other thing that really stood out to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the Wizards getting Bogdanovich again is okay, um, but sort of an inactive – I mean, really just overall an inactive deadline, not something – not nothing super crazy really came out of this stuff. And I, I would have been more intrigued if we would have seen one of those point guards deal go through. I would have, you know, but um, I, I think sort of everything worked out. Denver, Denver potential, Denver and Atlanta supposedly trying to get involved with Paul George. Um, and then Atlanta also trying to making an offer for Jimmy Butler was interesting as well, because it's just like, why not? You know, like, what do you have to lose by at least right. making the call? At least you kind of say you're going to go get the star. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I like Denver being aggressive. I, I don't know what they eventually end up doing, but, but I like that uh, apparently they, they dried the third team into there to try to get more assets going um, towards Indiana. But uh, if, if they get another star there to play next to Jokic and, and if they manage to retain Jamal Murray, that, that could be a really fun potential core there. Yeah. 100% agree. Jokic and Murray are, are so fun. Um, but Justin, thank you so much for helping me break down this deadline. Um, make sure, is there anything you just want to get a quick plug in for before you we, we wrap this up? Man, um, I don't know what to even plug right now. Uh, obviously doing a lot of writing still. Uh, Hoops Habit, uh, Fear the Sword, uh, Press Basketball. If you're not following on Twitter and, and following along with us, um, go ahead and do so already. Uh, we're always open to advice and feedback. Uh, we're, we're trying to get the conversation going there and, and really build to be something that people enjoy uh, going to on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, uh, follow us, give us feedback, and, um, yeah, follow me on Twitter as well, and you'll you'll find uh, my writing plug there yeah. as well as a lot of bad tweets. <laughs> Not bad tweets. Not bad tweets. I know your bio. Does your bio still have trash in it? Yes, my uh, bio still does start with mostly trash. <laughs> and I got my new header. I got my new header as Kyrie as the the, uh, the flat Earth believer. Yeah, I do. I do. It's fantastic. I'm, I hope. That, I also hope that the Kyrie thing just dies forever because it's just a waste of our time. Oh no, no, no! Hang on, before before we stop this. Yeah. You did you listen to the whole podcast? I did. I've listened. To, I had to go back and listen to it twice because the first time I listened to it, I sort of didn't really realize what he said because like at the gym at like five thirty in the morning, so I like wasn't. Really yeah, because like, it's like, not really about believing the Earth is flat. It's like, like it's, it's like, not. It's like about like. I mean, but like he does say stuff in there where I'm just like Kyrie, like the CIA did not kill Bob Marley, mm-hmm. like, like I, like I, I get, I think I get what his point is. I just don't know if it was the best way of making it. I guess is my thing. Yeah, he, he went about it the wrong way, but even towards the end, he's like, and he's said it since. He, he understands that it's scientifically impossible for the the world to be round. But what it sounded like he was explaining to me and a buddy of mine elaborating on this as well is it's kind of like. Eastern philosophies that you have to free your mind of all previous notions, all, all everything that you were told to believe as fact, you have to no longer believe in order to reach a true state of meditation and freedom of thought, which was the line he used, but you, you have to investigate it for yourself. So what he was telling people, and, and the quotes were popping up on the weekend where they're like, uh, the earth isn't flat and he'd go i know but it's fun to look it up um i I think he was encouraging people to explore things for themselves and and it was really more about his personal journey to get to that state than it was any of his statements i mean it was a ridiculous conspiracy theories podcast but that seemed to be the the takeaway and when he got mad I, i believe it was joe varden um that was interviewing him he's like yeah that uh, was your takeaway he he he's like you don't care about like what this means for me and any other interpretation of that makes his response there kind of confusing to me yeah it's uh 
it's a lot. Like that's that's sort of my thing. It's like it is sort of a lot uh, with what happened with it. But uh, yeah, Kyrie's an interesting dude, and I, I think that's always sort of the. It's he's weird as hell. Yeah, he's, he's a he's. You gotta he's, be weird as hell if you're going to get along with LeBron, because <laughs> yeah. he's also weird as hell. Yeah, uh, they're a little different, weird, but 100 percent I'm with you on that. Yeah, it was the, just a bonkers thing, and I, I he Kyrie's just a weird guy, <laughs> like in a but in like kind of an interesting way. But yeah. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Everyone, we'll be back uh, Monday with a mailbag show. So drop those questions into Lockdown Cavs on Twitter, which is lockdowncavs at gmail.com or on the Reddit posts that we put up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Find the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Cavs. Find the podcast on Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. So for Chris Manning, for Justin Rowan, uh, because I'm talking in third person and it's late on deadline day, we'll talk about Monday. <laughs> It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.